of you all here last week? Anybody not here last week? Okay, so we, all right. Now, just let me clarify. You want to pick up back there on the table then uh, the handout, which says Breaking Free. So you should have the handout. You should have your Bible, which would be great. You want to have a copy of the notes, which is the, it's what it says, teaching notes. And then you should also have the ministry manual. And if couples wouldn't mind sharing uh, the ministry manual, that would even be great. And you'll notice that the uh, notes in the ministry manual, it should have a little sticker on them that says that they're on loan to you. But all of y'all, if you have not gotten a book, take a copy of my book. That's yours. Take home. Share with it. Read it. Mark it. Do whatever the Lord tells you to do with it. Um, Yeah, that would be, and, and the handout. You can take an extra handout because you're my mom. No, they're okay. I have extras of those. That's sure. Um, we're probably going to spend a good deal of the time in the notes tonight, but I want to get, I want to finish. Uh, if you'll notice, uh, turn to the first page of the handout, breaking free the the reading assignment, which I pray you all did them because it'll make a whole lot more sense as we move through this. Um, we're going to actually incorporate Mark 9, which is all of these are deliverance and importance of deliverance and how the Lord taught during those times. And then uh, we're going to pick up and do the teaching notes on page uh, 1 through 26. I'm not sure we'll get through all 26, but next week, if you would read that Romans 12 and then 2 Corinthians 10 and then finish reading the teaching notes. So you want to read through the teaching notes for sure because you'll start to see. This is going to start to become, I'm, I'm building upon. Last week we spent uh, the first, that hour and a half on foundation. The Lord had told me you were the, you were the foundation or the, the bearing walls, right? The ones that could take the weight. And I'll notice that there's not a lot of new believers in here. This is these, So I'm excited. I'm encouraged by that, that, uh, that you're here. So praise the Lord. Let's, um, if you'll turn with me, we, we did the first two pages and some. And we're actually on page three of the handout at the top of the page there, which is in Luke's gospel chapter 10. So let's pray. We're going to pray. Lord, we thank you. Lord, I ask for the spirit of wisdom and revelation. I ask for equipping. It's one thing to have information. It's another thing to have information with impartation and then experience with expectation. So, Lord, I'm asking you to put all this together so that your people are well-equipped. They know their identity in Christ. They know their authority in Christ. And they are not afraid to deal with anything that you put in front of them. And we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Let's turn to Luke chapter 10. In Luke 10, just to set the kind of the stage on this one, in Luke 9, he sends out the 12, and then in Luke 10, they come, they come back, you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff there about, uh, he, he tries to correct them about who's the greatest, they come back and they argue about who's the greatest, and, and uh you would think at that point he'd probably send them back to discipleship school. He doesn't do that. He sends out 72 that are even greener than the first nine, first 12 he sent out. And so 
their experience is he gives them the same charge in Luke's Gospel 10. He, he chooses, verse 1, he says, he now chose 72. Some, say, some translations say 70. Close enough. It says, they sent him out two by two. That's a really important characteristic. You'll notice when we do prayer ministry or we get into it, it's good to have two people present because there's power and agreement. If one can put 1,000 to flight and two can put 10,000 to flight, um, it says, if two or three of you will agree as touching, it shall be done for them, right? So there's power in this agreement. And so uh, he chooses 72 and he sends them out in pairs. He tells them they're going to be lamb, uh, lamb among the wolves, that they're to heal the sick. Verse 9 says, heal the sick and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. Then he goes on, he says, verse 16, he tells the disciples, anyone who accepts your message is accepting me. So they go on their mission trip, and they come back from their mission trip. If you think about a few weeks ago, our Brazil team came back, and they got up here, and they told you what they saw, what was the, and we're like, wow. And you've been here any length of time. We come back from our mission trip. We tell you what our experiences were. So here they are again. They're doing the same thing. That's the power of the testimony. In verse 17 of Luke 10, 17, when the 72 disciples returned, one, they joyfully reported. That's good, right? It must have been a good trip. <laughs> I'm sure they had different things. You know, maybe the, they didn't have flush toilets, and maybe they slept on the rocks, and, and you know how it goes. But they had a good trip, and they joyfully reported, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. There's a lot of things that could have been recorded, but that's the, t- the first report. They were so moved by the fact that they're out and they're ministering and they're kind of taken back or the major report that funnels to the top of the surface is when we use your name, we have authority over demons. So this is that place where Jesus says, yeah, uh, he, he says, yeah, I, I, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I even give you authority over all power of the enemy, and you can walk among the snakes and scorpions, crush them. Nothing will injure you. But don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. At the same time, Jesus was filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit and said, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and revealing them to the childlike. It pleased the Father to do it this way. So we see lots of great um, nuggets here of truth. One, power and authority. Jesus sees the head of the kingdom of darkness falling like lightning as they are ministering, even as inexperienced as they are. And he says, I saw it. And so that's why when, later when we read in, in Matthew 12 where it says, when we cast a demon out of someone, the kingdom of God has come among you. Now you might say, wow, we're gonna, we'll share some wild stories and torment stuff. But when the kingdom of God f- brings that darkness out of a person, the kingdom of God has come among you. That's why when they're doing this ground level warfare in villages and all the, and where they're going and the names of Jesus is casting out, Satan's whole kingdom is crumbling. In fact, the king of of that dark place is falling like lightning. Now, I don't know about you, but that, that's somewhat surprising to me. In the hierarchy, 
what's happening, if you think of it this way, we know from Ephesians 6 shared this last week, there's this hierarchy of darkness. And so principalities and powers of darkness in high places. And we're, they're dealing at probably the ground level of warfare, and it is causing the top of the kingdom to crumble. We know if you take out the foot soldiers, the generals, what are they going to do, I, I, you know? And so to me, that's real important that we don't have to um, stress over the fact, just deal with those that are in front of you, and ground level warfare is really, really important. And then the principle of don't get powered up about your able to kick demons around. What's more important is that your name is written as a citizen. But then Jesus gets really excited and he, he, he turns and gets happy. He says, they're getting it, Father. They get it. They, they're getting it, right? And so, real important scripture and the one that says, and I've quoted this many times when I've been in a really scary place. You said I could walk among these representations of darkness. Snakes and scorpions crush them and nothing will injure you. Nothing will injure you. Now, that doesn't mean that there won't be a weapon formed, right? Isaiah 54, 17 says, no weapon formed against you will prosper. Any tongue which has risen against you in judgment condemn the tongue. So the enemy forms a weapon and it comes and there's a limitation. I've been in some stuff that it could have been a lot worse. And we're kind of struggling with like, why did this even happen? You know, I thought you said I could have power over all of the enemy and this doesn't... And and then I find out later that Romans 8.28's kicked in. All things work together for good to those who love. And that which I wish never had happened, right? Happened, and now I'm like rejoicing that it happened. But he limited what the enemy can do, and then he used him as a pawn. And we see this over and over again in prayer ministry and inner healing. People come in and say, this happened to me, this happened to me, and this happened to me. And the very fact that they're here in prayer ministry is because those things happened to them. Right? And now they're in this place and God then rips open the veil and they get so much more out of what, if that had never happened. So that's why we got to trust his goodness even when, look, Lord, I, I feel like I'm walking among snakes and scorpions and I'm not sure they're all getting crushed right now. So you must be doing something I don't fully understand, so I trust you. I want us to see then. These are really important, and they're premises by which, as a ministry team member or in spiritual warfare, um, you want to have them as a foundation of how you approach ministry, especially spiritual warfare. Humility and intimacy. If you rush into warfare without humility, intimacy, repentance, and purity, it's almost like running into battle without any bullets in your gun. The enemy will use everything that, that is, if you give him something to work with last week, remember we said that uh, he has devouring rights out of 1 Peter 5, give him nothing to work with. He's like a, a lion seeking whom he may devour. Don't give him any devouring rights. So Luke's gospel tells us to be in this place of not worrying, but humility, repentance, intimacy, those are powerful weapons against. And I've listed some scriptures there. How about 2 Timothy 1.7? You know this one. God is not what? Given me. Okay. So we, we said last week, if God didn't give us fear, who did? 
Okay, if God hasn't given you a spirit of fear, then you know fear rooted in anxiety, doubt, unbelief, insecurity, low self-esteem, low identity, all those things are routed. They're, they're sisters of fear that are rooted in a lie, which is Satan is the prince of all lies. And so when he says he's given us power, that's good. He's given us love, that's even better, and sound mind or some scriptures interchangeably use it, self-discipline. Is a sound mind the same as self-discipline? Pretty close. If my mind is really pretty sound, I'll probably be pretty disciplined in knowing I'm not a double-minded person flipping here and that way, following it. No. Sound mind, probably making sound directional decisions, and therefore I'm very self-disciplined. And so that's really good. I like that one. And how about um, 1 John 4, 8? Greater is he, we won't turn there, but 1 John 4, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And then it goes on and says, perfect love expels fear. So anytime you got any fear going on, we need a little more of his love, right? Let's turn to, let's, let's look at this one. I, I want to turn with me, if you will, to James chapter 3. Again, we're, say that again. Um, which one of the warfare items there or preparation goes with authority? Yeah. Sorry? What, uh, which scripture would you use for authority? Right? Um, he, remember where he says, I've given you authority. We covered this last week. Where we went through the scriptures. It says, he gave them power and authority over demons to heal the sick cast out demons. Remember that from last week? So we can dig up those scriptures, but they're in the front part of the, go back to the pages about authority. So standing firm. Yeah, and 10, it's right. He says, he gave them power over all demons, preached the kingdom. Okay, so you're there in James? James chapter three. Let's look at this one. Let's look at verse 13. I'm going to run into 13 into chapter 4. James tells us, this is James. James, remember, was Jesus' half-brother. He was one of those that rejected. He, he thought, they thought he was out of, he, they thought Jesus was out of their mind, but later after they see him resurrected from the dead, they go, oh, he's really the son of God. So now he writes a book, and it's really a good one. <laughs> verse 13, if you are wise and understands God's ways, Prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with humility that comes from wisdom. That's a mouthful right there. Why don't you prove to me that you're really walking humbly and rightly? Show me. It's kind of like, you know, I'm, I'm from Missouri. Show me. What James is saying is you ought to be able to walk. If you really say you're wise and understand God's ways, then your life will be proven by wisdom that's walked out in humility. Then he goes to the opposite. He says, but if you're bitterly jealous and there's selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. Whew. For jealousy and selfishness are not the kind of wisdom. <laughs> Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Now this is, for wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there will find disorder and evil of every kind. Man, if we could route the church from competition, jealousy, and button at the trough, wow, what, 
Because why? It's, it opens the door to all sorts of demonic movements here. That's why, it's, wow. Um, and obviously when you're deceived, you don't even know that's going on, and then it just, it's even worse. But the wisdom, question? Yes, we're going to look at the, even more of that in James 4 in a minute, okay? What, what I'm giving you some examples of A, B, C, D, E there is if you want to operate in, in warfare, your best covering, this is kind of the Psalm 91 promise. Those who dwell in the shelter of the Most High shall find rest under the shadow of the Almighty. So there's this dwelling under the shadow. Well, how do you get so close to the Lord? I'm casting a shadow. You're pretty close if you want to get in the shadow, right? And so if you want to be in the shadow of the sheltered place of safety, these are the elements or the bricks that you can build your life on that if you're walking in humility and repentance and authority, then you can walk through and come against the enemy without, a whole, without fear. Let's turn, so let me read on. It says, we use this often in, uh, in prayer ministry. James 4 says, I'll, I guess I'll just read the, the first part. It says, what's causing the quarrels and fights among you? You come with evil desires that war within you. You don't have what you want and you scheme and kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. You don't have it because you don't ask God for it, and even if you do ask God, your motives are all messed up. That's not really very positive, is it? And remember, Paul, James is talking to the spiritual church. He just got done talking about the tongue in James 3 that sets the world on fire and causes all sorts of mess in your life. So then he goes on, he says, you ought to question your motives, and you ought to question the desire of your heart. Then he uses the analogy of a wife and a husband, realizing the church is the bride. You adulterers, don't you realize, verse 4, that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? And I say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Whew, he doesn't really mix a whole lot there, but um, then we get into what I think is the operatives for, for spiritual warfare. God opposes the proud, but he, he favors the humble. So once he set all that groundwork, James now says, humble yourself before God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and he will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow, deep grief, sadness instead of laughter, gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up and honor you. Don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize and judge each other, then you are criticizing and judging God's law. But your job is to obey the law and not judge. God alone who gave the law is the judge. He alone has the power to save and destroy. So James is pretty a black and white. He's a really black and white dude. And, uh, but what he gives here is really important. And that's why in prayer ministry, and we have real life story. Maybe we'll share one of these, one of these nights. Um, I had a, a person who was a business guy in town, and he 
wanted to go on a business trip. This was years ago. And he wanted to go on a mission trip with us. And he knew that you can't go on a mission trip with us unless you go to prayer ministry. So he went to prayer ministry, but he didn't want to share all of his stuff because he didn't want anybody else to know it. And some of that stuff was pretty critical. And when we got into Santarém, Brazil, um, the devil knew what was still operable or what he could work with or what he could devour with. And it just so happens that his female partner, who was also a prayer minister, had lots of issues and was angry and jealous and unforgiving towards another teammate on the mission team. And so, and as the devil or God, at this point, I don't know, it all turned out okay. But guess what? They voluntarily raised their money, went on the trip, even though they held back their forgiveness and held back, um, they, they get together and now we're in the midst of what is really deep darkness. And in the, Randy Clark, he's never done this that I know of ever again since. It was kind of one of the early trips and we were in this church of about 2,500 and there was all sorts of immorality. In fact, the city was known as the city of dolphins. They had built a pavilion that sat, seats thousands of people and they, they had this festival every year called the Festival of the Dolphins and they would allow, you could have sexual relationships with anybody, even if you were married, for four days. That was the culture. And we walk, here we are, you know, Westerners, naive, you know, step off the plane in Santa Name, and there were more bugs than I had ever seen in my life. And uh, Pat would have really loved it. Phil was, Phil was, he was like, oh, my Pat would really love this. And, uh, and so we get on the, the bus, we're headed to the hotel, and they were being told by the local that you just happen to arrive when the, dest- the festival of the dolphins is about to be tr- take place the next four days. I said, what? What is that? And, and we get out of the bus and headed up the hotel. And on the front lawn is a couple having sexual intercourse on the front lawn. And I'm like, I know we're not in Kansas anymore, Toto. And I don't know what the heck I'm doing here with... Anyway... But there was a pastor there who had taken over the church. His brother had wanted to evangelize the entire Amazon region. And he died in a plane crash and never fulfilled that dream. His brother came from the United States and took over the church. And today that church is, I think there's 30,000 in multiple churches. Amazing. But that time it was a single church, 2,500. Allah, we arrive. And uh, Randy hears all this stuff. And he's like horrified by what, well, we're going to the church tonight. We're going to take control of that spirit. And so in walks Tom with his 16 team members trained and ready for war. And uh, we were probably in that don't, we weren't focused on being citizens. We were ready to kick devil butt. And we were about ready to get really humbled. And so we walk into that scenario. Randy steps up and he goes, in the name, no, no salvation message, no preparation, no forgetting none. He says, okay, Satan, we're going to war. In the name of Jesus, I take authority over the spirit of witchcraft and over all immorality. In the name of you, get out of this place right now in Jesus' name. And of the, I, I didn't count them, but it was a lot. I estimate about a third of the 2,500 hit the ground manifesting, vomiting, hair, eyeballs rolled back, banging their heads. And my team looked at me and said, I thought you said we were going to do two on one. I said, and 
Randy was taken back, the whole team, the Many of the team members with Randy that were not part of our team had never been to prayer ministry and never even read anything really. It, it was, man, we were, God is so graceful. Anyway, so we then start triaging, take the worst people that are really trying to hurt themselves, and we brought them into individual rooms and started ministering. And this man who'd not given up all of his garbage in prayer ministry, and the woman who's bitter and angry and resentful against their teammates, and all of a sudden the demonic realm jumps on her. And I'm, I don't want to scare you, but it, she became almost as blue as John's shirt, choking her. And the guy, her roommate, uh, her uh, partner, comes running and says, the devil is killing so-and-so. And I said, what? Because you got to, and, and he looked like, literally, he had seen a ghost. And uh, I get over there, and sure enough, the woman that she's mad at is my partner. <laughs> And we come together, and there we are, and I just see this thing. In the name of Jesus, I cut her free right now. She gets set free. We take her to an air-conditioned room because she's about ready to pass out from heat exhaustion. And we get in there, and she goes, I need to forgive you right now in the name of Jesus, so will you forgive me? And I said, what what is that all about? She goes, I'm holding bitterness. I was so angry at you. I don't want it anymore. And and, uh, Okay. That night... We were flying out of Santarém the next day. Phil was with the business guy. He is an absolute basket case, almost like he's having a nervous breakdown. He is so afraid that what he's seen now, he realizes he's been usually all together, you know, he's in charge, and he is in charge of nothing right now. And, and he is like really, really to the point where he was up all night long. His roommate stayed with him all night long, praying, says, Phil, don't leave me, Phil. Phil, um, if I had a gun, it was talking nonsense. And, it was like, and I'm thinking, oh, this is not good. We're going to take him home to his wife. That'll be the last mission trip we're going on. I, you know, I have all this stuff going on. My, And so his roommate stays up. And we get on the plane to fly out of Santarém and leave that airspace, head back to make the connection, come back to the U.S., And just so happens, I know this was a teaching point for me. Last week we covered in the book of Daniel about territorial spirits. Remember that? Remember he wrestled, Daniel started praying, and uh, the archangel battled over the territorial spirit. This was in spades for me to see it. So I'm just so happened my seat gets randomly assigned to him on the plane. And I'm sitting there, well, that's good. I can try to comfort him. And he is like all over the place, basket, talking gibberish. I'm like, yipes, God. And as we fly out of the airspace, I'm just praying. I said, Lord, I don't know what you're doing. I have no clue. I don't think we handled this really well. And I'm repenting. And all of a sudden, I turn over. I'm looking at him. And his countenance completely changes from fear to peace. And I said, Yoki goes, it's gone. It just left. I'm like, I believe that was a territorial spirit to the Santarém region that was not authorized to leave that space. That's the only explanation I have because we didn't do deliverance on him. We didn't, we, he had prayer for peace, but it wasn't working. And anyway, so what's the point of all that? This humility, repentance, forgiveness, it's all in the word. And if we think we can fight an angel, a dark spirit or dark spirits that are more powerful than humans, 
without the fullness of God and the compliance to God's commandments, we're just plain foolish. We're unprepared as warriors. So I'm, I, I want to spend time on this because this is a foundational principle that if we have open doors and then we want to go minister, you can get yourself in a big trouble. Okay? So, yeah, the good news of that story, both of them um, never went on another mission trip, but they willingly said, what you told us to do, we get it now. And they came, I think it was the next three mission trip preparations, they came and shared their personal testimonies of, y'all better tell exactly everything. There should be nothing hidden. And, and don't carry any offense because, yeah. And unforgiveness is a huge, is a huge, especially when Matthew 6 says, forgiven, you'll be forgiven. And if you refuse, then God doesn't forgive you either. And so, yeah. And so this, this place where... Um, operating in forgiveness is such a, a powerful tool that we want. And so I want us to look at, um, let's, let's keep on. In the bottom of, well, I guess verse 11 probably covers that in, in, John, uh, in yeah, James 4, 11. Don't speak evil of each other. If you're gossiping and tearing down and judging another, especially in the mission stream example, then... That's a really, uh, you can see from James's words there that you're speaking evil and all sorts of jealousy. And anyway, God's just not going to tolerate it. That's just the way it's going to go down. Now, we also learned from that experience, you know, as we were learning, God's very patient with us. He gives grace, remember, and Randy learned a lot from that experience as well. He never, now what he does, he, Matthew 12 says bind the strong man, right? You can't, you can't rob the strong man's house unless you tie him up. So now, unless deliverance has to happen, it's usually you lay the foundation of worship and salvation and preparation and forgive, and then deliverance is the natural event of after those events happen. So you've tied the enemy up. And we'll, we're gonna spend a lot more time on that. Okay, the method of our warfare is clear there on the bottom. Salvation, forgiveness. Well, you'll see that um, you never want to do prayer ministry on somebody that's unsaved or unsure of their salvation. Or you don't really want to do prayer ministry on anyone who doesn't want to be prayer ministered. Even if the spouse calls you and says, my spouse has got a demons and I need you to get them out. I'm, we've had many of those calls. In fact, they want to even give me the demon list that we should go after. And I, I'm like... Um, does your spouse really want, well, no, but they know if he wants to stay married to me, he better get in there. <laughs> well, I guess that's a good motive, but could you have your husband call me <laughs> or call Pat? And so, um, and, and don't, don't get preconditioned of all the things that, because that's coming through a human filter. It's probably a lot of it is true from what people have seen or experienced with those you live with, but if we're doing prayer ministry and the Holy Spirit's in charge, he will get to that at the right moment. Amen? Okay. Um, <clears throat> you want to know another scripture that kind of fits along with all this? Psalm 91's there. I've listed Deuteronomy. We've listed, we went into Revelation 12 last week with we're at war and we've overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Um, Psalm 24 is, if you like the one, who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Finish that for me. Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? 
Clean hands, pure heart. So those are clean actions, your hands, and purity, motive of the heart. That does exactly what James is talking about here as well. And so you can <coughs> ascend the hill, be in the sheltered place when you're doing what is pure and holy and right and blessed, right? <coughs> All right, let's, uh, let's spend a little time. Turn with me to Matthew, Matthew chapter 12. <coughs> Excuse me. I preached this in the Spanish church um, Sunday about <clears throat> the message really was that signs that follow the believers. And we, we looked at Mark 16 last week. The first one, list for me, what are the signs of the believers out of Mark 16? Cast out demons. Heal the sick. Well, it... it Bring the kingdom and get them saved. So I guess that's raising the dead. That's a great commission. But speak in tongues, right? And handle deadly things without harm. And then the last verse of Mark 16 says, And the disciples went everywhere, and the Lord co-labored with them, bringing signs and wonders. So Mark 16 in the Great Commission, Go into all the world, make disciples of all men, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. These will be the signs of them that believe. Cast out demons. Speak with new languages. Handle deadly things without harm. And then you can drink poison and it won't harm you. Right? And then it says, lay your hands on the sick and they'll recover. In the New Testament church, every one of those events except the drinking of poison occurred. And so, and we're supposed to go and do greater works, right? John 14, we covered that last week. John 14 says, I go to the Father now. Go and do what I did. In fact, greater works shall you do. That's both volume and scope, I believe. And so... We see in Acts 28, remember when Paul shipwrecked on the Isle of Malta? I've been there when I was in the Merchant Marine. It's an armpit. It's a <laughs> he got shipwrecked there, and they all survive after he said, you know, we're going to crash. The boat's going to sink, but nobody's going to die. I think there were 268 survivors on that. They, and that's amazing in itself, to be run aground and get out of the water, and all of them live. And now they're being ministered to or taken care of by all the locals in Malta, Paul's sitting on the beach, freezing, probably gets a fire going, picks up some sticks, and a poisonous viper attaches itself to him, right? Like, really, God, maybe Tom wouldn't say this. God, it's bad enough. I'm going to prison in Rome. Now I'm shipwrecked, and I tried to tell him, and I'm now Now I'm trying to get one. You're bit by a snake. Anything else, Lord? Right? You might say, well, Paul... Didn't, didn't you hear that thing about what he said in Luke? You're going to walk through snakes and scorpions and, and, yeah, well, there's that. But guess what happens? This and they're saying, he's going to die. You watch. He's, he must be a murderer is what they say. God's got him. And they wait and they wait. Man, he's got to be an angel. We better worship this dude. And then Paul's, whoa, stop that stuff. You, I'm not just a man. I'm just a man. And then he gets all the way to ministering to the governor, the whole island gets saved. From that experience of all the mess, you think God was in that plan? I don't know where shipwrecks and snake bites and all that fits in the salvation message for a whole little island, but it fits. And so I say that with when you're going through some stuff and you feel like the snakes are biting on you, 
And you quote this Luke scripture and say, Lord, just remember what Paul might have said. And, and then just realize, okay, God, if you want to save a whole city, I'll go through this right now. Because he didn't die, right? He, it gave him credibility of supernatural provision. And so everything was accomplished in that Mark scripture except the drinking of poison. But our own, uh, the wife of our leader in Nepal, when she was a young girl, I think it was 10, if I have the, some of you might remember we were with us recently. Uh, Elisa was 10. Her parents lived next door to Hindus. They, they made poison food to kill the Christians. And they poisoned her. And she didn't die. Now, she's had some effects of it. Uh, she doesn't sweat properly. He always tells me, I don't really get it in all the translation. But when it's really hot, she has some hard times. But she'd be okay, is what he says. But there's, a, there's another, and there's been other testimonies. I think Kent has one where he was in some really food dedicated to witch doctors and witch, and no effect. Okay. All right, you there in Matthew 12? I want us to look at the, this scripture. You read this one, right, for your homework. So praise God. Um, verse 22, Matthew 12, 22, the demon-possessed man who's blind and can't speak. Bring him to Jesus. The crowd is amazed. Could it be that Jesus is David, the son of David, the Messiah? Why? Because he opens the blind eye and the mute speaks. So now it starts to raise the, the authority level of Jesus doing the signs and wonders. The Pharisees, of course, call him the prince of demons. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, gives them a teaching about how can a kingdom stand if everyone is undermining the leadership of that kingdom. It, it divided. It doesn't work. A house divided. A business divided. A church divided. Because division is division. And in fact, the Bible says, uh, both Timothy and Titus say, if there's any causing division among you, give them a warning first, give them a second warning, and then kick them out and treat them like pagans. Well, that's pretty raw. So if we did that for real, there probably would be a few people left in here, maybe. I don't know. And I'd be one of them years ago. You know, like, I got my opinion. Yeah, okay. That's probably a rabbit trail we don't want to run on. Anyway, let's, let's uh, <clears throat> when we look at, um, Jesus challenges them on that. And then he goes in verse 28. If I'm casting out demons by the Spirit of God, isn't that awesome? Then the kingdom of God has arrived among you. For who is powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man like Satan and plunder his goods? Only someone even stronger, someone who could tie him up and plunder his house. Now, the thought of going against Satan is, you know, that, I don't know about you, but I don't dream about doing that, okay? Um, I was with Carlos Anacondia in, in Argentina twice. Many, who was on those trips? Okay, so we got some witnesses here. The first trip we're there, it was like, oh my goodness. The second trip, we're in a soccer stadium full, and Carlos Anacondia, who wrote the book, Listen to Me, Satan. He gets up and he starts his conference exactly the way Randy does it. <laughs> or doesn't do it anymore. And he takes authority. He commands Satan to listen to him. Now I'm thinking, man, that's really risky stuff. I don't Isn't that like... But he's so sure of his authority and his method. 
He says, listen to me, Satan. Of course, it's all in, in uh, Spanish. He's, listen to me, Satan. And he takes authority and he starts binding the devil. And in the midst of that, he's looking for a reaction. And he gets it. We were sitting on the, in the dirt up front, near the front, and he does this thing. And I'm thinking, man, man, I've never seen anything like this before. Billy Graham doesn't do it this way. And all of a sudden, you have these manifestations. And he's got all these trained Argentines. They look for the manifestation. Then they go and they pick the person up and they bring him to the deliverance tent. They have their attention. They bring the human personality back. They don't deliver him. They bring the human personality back and they start questioning, would you like to be free? Would you like to know Jesus? And they get the whole enchilada. That's that's Italian for everything. (laughs) They get salvation. Do you want to get saved? They get him saved. You just... Satan just got confronted by light, and guess what? We're in charge, and he's not, and so would you like to know our Jesus? Yes, I would. would you like to be free of this torment? Yes, good. Get saved, words of salvation come out. Then they said, now, what would you like to confess as your sin? They do, and then they go through deliverance, and they bring them right in to baptism in the Holy Ghost, and in some of the tents, they have a water tank. You get the whole thing right through and out they go. And so different method. Well, Randy was in Argentina and learned from Carlos Anacondia. So when we started going to Brazil, you'll see some of these. We're in Belém, Brazil. Randy had been there the year before. They had 20,000 people. Him and Bill Johnson are going to preach to a crowd of over 20,000. They start, the worship starts and the manifestations start all over the place. (coughs) Otha. There was a famous lady named Otha. We'll get to her. But in, in that experience, they tried to preach. But what happened, literally, there's so much witchcraft. San La Muerte, the cult of death, Macumba. There's so much of it. In fact, we didn't even know it at the time. But every soccer stadium in Brazil has an assigned Macumba witch to that location. Given favor there. <laughs> I don't know if it's free tickets for the, I don't know. But she, we didn't know that. But the Lord knew that. And so that year before, we'd all, we wouldn't go on that trip. Randy and Bill are trying to preach, and there is chairs flying, people, dust, and dirt. They'd be start preaching, the movement of the Holy Spirit. Remember, when Bill preaches, the Holy Spirit moves, right? And that manifestation, when anointed would come up, and it was chaos. And they, they felt so, in, so ineffective. So Randy came back and said, man, this is not working in this culture. So he heard about uh, Carlos Anaconda. He says, he talked to Paulo. Pastor Paulo oversaw 70 churches in the four square. So Paulo invites Randy back, says, no, this, his name is Paulo. I forget his last name now. He was the senior pastor over 70 assembly, uh, four square churches there. And the reason I know that is we went there three times actually after that. And Paulo comes to a place where he says, we need somebody to run the deliverance tents. Randy and he had been talking, who can run deliverance for us? And Randy said, well, I got a guy that's gone with me. Um, let me ask him. So I get off the plane. We had done some training, not, you know. The, 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 yeah, we were ready. We read uh, Pigs in the Parlors. I don't know. It, and, and we had the book, and we felt, felt pretty good, and no method. <laughs> Randy in his training manual, I think it was like, he didn't even do deliveries, right? So anyway, so we get off the plane, and I get ushered into a luncheon with Randy and Paulo. And Randy says, Tom, we would like you to get your team 
to run the deliverance tents like Anna, Carlos Anacondia does in Argentina. Before I had left, the night before I had left, one of our key lead intercessors was up all night crying and praying for me and called me at 7.30 in the morning. I'm supposed to get on the plane and leave. Called me that morning and said, I've been up all night interceding for your life. I believe Satan's going to try to kill you on this trip. And I'm thinking, well, that's really uplifting. <laughs> and I'm wondering, should I even tell my wife? But she's my key intercessor, so I, I did. And she goes, well, you think you should go? Is that a warning? I said, she goes, well, you better be really careful. I said, I don't know what that means either, but okay, so here we go. So I believe we had an assignment. We got all the visas. We've spent $3,500 a piece. We got 16 people, you know, like, yeah, right. And so get off the plane, and I'm sitting there, and Paulo and Randy said, would you run the deliverance tents for us? I said, ha this is how Satan's going to try to kill me. I don't think I'm going to do that. No, I, I don't know. I'm not. And it, he goes, would you pray about it? Oh, I hate that. <laughs> I do. I, so I go up to my hotel room. I remember it was the 17th floor. I get in the hotel room, and I'm like, God, I, I got this input. I'm going to get killed. These guys, these are my, these are apostolic leaders, one over the nation. The other one over the nation. He's got favor in Brazil. I know. God, would you please tell me what to do right now? And I get this download. I mean, as the Holy Spirit, like, grabbed a hold of me. And he said, I want you to do this, but here's what you need to do. And then, he go, then I kick into the nuclear stuff, the chronological events of we're going to do the following stuff. First thing you need to do is get your team together. Everybody else is going to lunch to have this, they have this meat thing there. You get all this meat, you could, it's a cholesterol bomb beyond belief. Take them out of the lunch get a special dispensation from Randy to get a bus and go to where the soccer stadium is. And I want you to walk around the soccer stadium seven times, anoint the oil, and I want you to pick a place where you can set up a private area for your deliverance tent. And I want you to go around that place seven times, anoint it with oil, break everything in the name of Jesus. I'm like, all right, we're going to do a Jericho march. That sounds good. Sounds spiritual. <laughs> and so well, let's do that. Didn't know that there'd been blood sacrifices and Macumba witches in charge of that area, but the devil couldn't have that authority if we were there breaking that authority and we'd been invited in and the apostolic leader over Brazil, Paulo, for those churches had paid them and brought us in and now said, you do it. We now have authority in the natural and in the spirit. And so the other thing he told me to do, he said, um, I want you to set it up two by two. Obviously, you got, and your translators, I want you to pray over the translators because not all of your translators are demon-free. I'm like, huh? So Phil, who'd been on many mission trips now, would pray for people. He would got the name uh, Dr. Fogu, the doctor of fire. He would call fire on him, and these people would get whacked all over the place. Amazing. I said, Dr. Fogu, I have an assignment for you. I'd like you to get all of our intercessors and translators that are assigned to the deliverance tent, and I'd like you to pray the fire on them and make sure they're with us. He does that, and seven of our translators' eyeballs roll back in their head. <laughs> I don't want them praying for us or translating for us. Bless them. Send them back out to the crowd. Phil says, you're done. You're done, because was, Phil was my control point guy. And so then the Lord said, you need to raise up 
guys like you saw in Argentina, because the year before, I'm in Argentina, and Carlos Anacondia threw us, I don't have time to go, through a series of divine appointments through Karina's dad, Carlos Anacondia laid hands on us and imparted us the anointing and the mantle to control witchcraft and to break the power of Satan. I have the book in my office signed by him. He laid hands on our 16-member team, and he, he gave us that mantle. And so I'm like, okay, I don't know what all that is, but now. So now we're in this place, and the Lord says, I want you to now take those Argentines, uh, I'm sorry, we're in Brazil, Brazilians, and train them. Get, get, ask Paul to give you 200 Brazilians and train them up. And these guys need to be ones that when people start throwing chairs and they're getting all manifested, they need to be able to go handle that. So don't give me the frail people. Give me the big ones. Big Brazilian guys. Tree stumps. So I come to the main church, and we're going to do this conference on Friday. I forget what day. It was early part of the week. That church has got 200 people in it. I've got my team there, and I spend eight hours training them on preparation. I'm teaching on deliverance, what we're going to do. So if there's a manifestation, what you do is you don't pray in tongues. What they did in Brazil, they would pray in tongues over the one manifesting or punch them, pull their hair, or pour water on them. That was the way they and said, stop doing that. Stop praying in tongues over them. Shut it down. Speak peace and bring the individual to us. That's your job. We're getting all done with that. I'm like eight hours in this train. I'm feeling, okay, we got everybody. We pray impartation. Let's do the work. And in walks this. I'm, I'm here and I'm pretty tired after eight hours of training. They're pretty worn out too. In walks this couple. She is blind, white eyes. And her husband, he's got to be 80. He, he, they're, they're walking, he's leading her. And they come to the altar. And I'm like, what in the world are they? And he helps her up on the steps standing there, and I have Avamil, who's a translator. Avamil goes, basically, what are you doing here? He's a church. We're in the middle. And he goes, yeah, God told my wife, the the old man says, God told my wife that if the pastor would pray for her, her blind eyes would open. Avamil says, tells me, I'm going, oh, no pressure. No pressure. No pressure. I said, okay, Lord, the, what, the, what came out, the, you said that the lame would walk, the blind would see, and the dead would be raised. In Jesus' name, I ask you to open her eyes. And her eyes went from white to brown, right there, in front of 200 people. I was as, as shocked, and now I'm like, okay, who else needs prayer? <laughs> yeah. And Phil, I got to tell you, Phil, oh my gosh, the whole team, like, Oh, it's stoked, right? So what happens, it just, the Holy Spirit breaks out in this room and the whole place gets filled with the Holy Ghost, blind eyes open, tumors disappearing. So here now is the army about ready to go and we're, we're stoked and now that word goes out like God's with us and like our credibility, God is just amazing. And so we get into this, we went there three times and we'll work in some of these as we move forward in more teaching points, but I want you to see that God is graceful. We didn't know what we were doing. And there'll be times you don't know what you're doing at this point. It may be off the script. You may learn the process, and I'm going to give you a couple that we're off script. This is, the normal is not normal now. But you know the answer to this one, so what do we do now? 
and the Holy Spirit breaks in and power. I'm going to I'll share two, two of them I'll share with you later or to next week, and we'll get to that. These are real-life examples. All right. In Matthew 12, I want us to see that one, when you, your assignment, right? Remember we said, who can tell me what 1 John 3, 8 said? Jesus is good. Destroy the, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And then in John 14, go and do likewise, even greater, right? So our assignment is to destroy the works of the devil. Now that might mean lead someone in Christ to salvation, right? Um, look for the opportunities. that, And so whatever it is that help the person who's addicted to get set free, the one who's stuck in pornography, break free. That's the destroying work of the devil. So now, how do you tie the strong man? The reason I'm laying this foundation, this is the most important teaching I believe Jesus did. There's a corollary in another uh, gospel. But if you look at this one, um, he goes on, he says, the kingdom of God has come among you when I cast out a demon. So when you are working at ground level, casting out a demon, the kingdom of God has just arrived in that space. That's what Jesus said, right? And so, and you're here accusing me of being the prince of demons. Then he goes on, he says, he, he challenges those who, who make accusation that things of God that are really, that they're saying are, are the demonic, that's an unpardonable sin. You better be careful. Don't attribute things. Be careful when, you're, when you don't understand what you're seeing right now that you say that doesn't look like God. Because there are some strange places I've been, people chicken walking and doing strange things. And I'm like, man, I've never seen that before. You think that's God? I, are they hurting themselves? No. They look pretty weird, but I don't know. Let's wait to see what the fruit is. You'll know them by their fruit. Be careful because 25 years ago from the church I came out of that didn't believe in any of the gifts, I was there, and if you had propelled me into some, I probably would have said that can't be God. Now, I'm not saying you're going to be lost when you do that, because the unpardonable sin is you've got to this place where you've just rejected Christ completely at the end. All right, moving on. This is when the spirit, look at verse 43. When a spirit, an evil spirit, leaves a person, Jesus says where it goes. It goes to the desert. King James says, when an unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walks through the dry places, seeking rest and finding none. Now, there's all sorts of deliverance. They, they send him to the pit of hell, locked up forever. That's not now. That's not biblical. Jesus is going to do that later. You'll be there when the barbecue pit and the lock goes on, right? But right now, it says when that person is cast out, when that spirit is cast out, it goes to a dry place and it wanders. It wants, that entity wants to land somewhere. It'll want to land in a person or an animal, generally. We'll, we'll talk about some of the animal deliverances we've done. And so, this... This spirit goes to a dry place. So in your, when you cast a spirit out, command it to go to the dry place that Jesus has prepared. But then he goes on and warns, if you have done deliverance on someone, and that house that's been cleaned does not remain clean and full, those spirits connect with brothers and sister spirits and come back and invade the house, and that person is worse off than they were before. That's the, Jesus says that, right? You guys on that track with that? What's the warning? So that's why we tell people, first of all, 
do not do deliverance on someone who's not a believer because they can't have the Holy Spirit. So you just set them up. You may confront darkness. This thing where someone comes to the front, manifests, or you're in a place you're praying, they manifest, they hit the ground, and you start instantly doing deliverance. I believe that's out of order. You got to engage the free will of the person. Now, it may take a little while. You want to talk to them about that? Do you know what happened to you? Why do you feel sick? Why do you want to run? When that thing, what, what happens in when you spent time with a person and you are binding the strong man, forgive my father, forgive my mother, forgive my teacher, forgive my, my pastor, forgive, 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 confessing my sin, my sin, my sin, my sin to the point where is there anything left? I can't think of anything. You have just tied that strong man up. Forgiveness and confession has wrapped that strong man to the point that anything that's now left in this person, this dwelling, they're trespassing. Now, can, can somebody break into your house that you own? Can they come in? They can, right? So they can come in your house, but you have authority under the law to get them evicted, thrown out, locked up, don't come back here, get a restraining order, however, whatever analogy you want to use. What Jesus is saying here is, be careful when you do deliverance. This is not so, we've had people come in, they're struggling with alcoholism. And we'll say, they'll say, well, I don't want to give up alcohol completely. I just want to function. Uh, not a good idea. Right? Well, I'm dealing with a spirit of lust, but you're not going to tell me I can't look at pornography. <laughs> okay. Oh, okay. Wow. That's not going to go forward. Okay? You just can't. Why? Because you can set them up in all good intentions. Now, I realize this is, a, this is a call. Some people, we've had people that struggle with schizophrenia. You'll notice when we get to the journal, if they haven't been sober for two weeks or free from their drugs, or they haven't tried to, at least with a doctor's care, get down off of some of the depths of the stuff that have shut their soul down, then we'll try to make a call. Some people are trapped, and you might need to do deliverance and then follow it up. But, but that's, that's a specific, those are specific cases. Is this making sense? So be careful when we do deliver. We don't, want, we, we don't just willy-nilly go out and, and start doing. We need to know what we're doing, why we're doing it, and it needs to be biblically based. Okay. But we are called to plunder the strong man's house. Rob him blind. I love it. That's like, yeah, we want to go in and tear it down. We want this kingdom of darkness to fall. Okay. Let's turn. We're gonna. You'll notice page four is the. It will be the journal, and we'll pick up on that. Uh, if not next week, the week after. But I want to get through now. If you'll all pick up the teaching notes. Hopefully, you've read the first twenty-six pages. Um, I'm gonna f- fly through some of this. First of all, let's. Why don't you tell me, maybe in your own words. What is prayer ministry? What is, what is the purpose of that ministry? To be set free. Yeah. I say to displace the enemy's power and replace it with God's power. Okay, set free, displace the enemy. But to really sit with the Lord and the Holy Spirit and ask him to show you all the things that you may not be aware of that you need to get from him. So you're partnering with the Holy Spirit in in the gifting to ask the Holy Spirit who knows everything, you know everything, and this person has just come here, 
with their free will, probably pretty vulnerable. I don't know anybody that's gone to one of these ministries that isn't like anxious, like, oh my God, I'm feeling really exposed and I don't know what's going to happen. I don't want my neck to spin around in front of them. You know, right? you know, that's the stuff that is like real, you know. And so they've come, they're vulnerable, they're doing James. Humble yourselves before God. Draw close, he'll draw close, then you can resist the devil and he will flee. So we're asking the Holy Spirit, we want to be free, displacing the darkness. But if you'll keep this in mind, prayer ministry really is identifying a lie or partial truth and replacing it with truth. That that person can now start to walk in that truth. And it's done with all the love you can muster around it. Why? Because Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm life. And whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Right? So prayer ministry, fancy word, oh, deliverance. Your church does deliverance. (laughs) That ain't in the book. And like, okay, oh, that's gone for today. Let's take the mystery out of all this. No, prayer ministry is inner healing, counseling, that helps people find the lie that they're walking in and gives them the truth. And we do it. When you spend eight, six, eight, ten hours, Pastor Willie Nilsson, was it 11, 12, something like 11 hours? They feel pretty loved that you would spend your entire day helping me with no charge. I feel pretty loved. So let's just boil all that down. Somebody asks you, so what does your church do? Well, we do a form of inner healing, but really what it is, we find out the lies that are beating, beating you up, and we ask Jesus to show you what the truth is so you can be free. And we do it, and it's loving. We don't charge for it. You freely receive, now freely give. And we buy you lunch. Pat does. Yeah. And it's good. Yeah. And so that's, that's prayer ministry. So let's, all right, now, um, I tried to say that in, in the third paragraph of that forward there, just open to the forward in the beginning. Number one, it says, identifying the lies or misconceptions. And then it does what some of you said, in, engage, we're on the front page, we're in, the no, we're in the notes now. I'm sorry. Go to the notes and go to the forward, the first page. First page. At the top there, basically it said, healing it through deliverance is transformation of one's thinking to align you with the word of God, right? That's fancy. Now, down on the third paragraph, I said, number one, identify the lies or misconceptions an individual believes that they believe to be true, right? Proverbs 23 says, as a man or as a person believes in their heart, so they will become, whether it's true or false, right? And so number two says, engage and remove specific spirits that have formed a manipulation or an influence to control a person's life. Okay? So that's what I just said before. I just put it in print there. Turn the page to introduction. This is probably a a summary of what you've heard in the last uh, two hours, last week and this week. First, we don't do prayer ministry on anybody that doesn't have an intimate relationship or at least a relationship with Christ because he's the only one who can set them free and stay free. Prayer ministry and other techniques, all of them are based upon biblical scripture, and I've listed some of those. James says right there in the middle of that paragraph, resisting the devil, James 4, 7, he can flee. Wholeness believes when you abide in him. 
Then I will talk a little bit more about Sozo. We think we covered that a little bit last week. We'll look at it again on the next page. Prayer ministry. This is, this is what I, uh, the, one of the things I found out. If you continue to walk with Christ and you're in church, you're reading the word, you're in that place, over time you're going to be more and more discipled. You're under the word, you're hearing the word, the enemy's being purged, and you are making sanctification steps. Where you used to be years ago, you're, you're further advanced if you're still walking with Christ, and, right? Philippians 1, 6 says that. He says, he who began the work will perform it. So Jesus is performing on you. And you're becoming wiser and wiser and more capable every year. What prayer ministry does is it accelerates the sanctification process from here to way over here. And so if you're already saved, you're justified. You're like you've never sinned before, right? So you're already born again. Your name's in the Lamb's book of life. The problem is my mind is still not fully transformed yet. And I believe some stuff that is kicking my butt, the echo of my past, and I'm behaving badly, or I'm behaving at times, or I make it for a while, and then I don't. The, we need the Lord to come in and identify what is the lie that's believing or the echo that's haunting you and get that strong man tied up through forgiveness and confession and then blast that guy out of here and move you way over here to, oh. So prayer ministry is a, an acceleration of the sanctification process. It must engage the free will. We have been given a gift of free will. You can decide to do a lot of things. And it's, now, the Lord may put you in some circumstances that your free will, I want to conform now, God, I really do. <laughs> but you still have free will. And I don't believe the Lord will force you to do anything. He'll, he'll let you walk right into hell, even though he gave his son and gave you all the witnesses and everything. So, all right, page one. Two job descriptions John 10.10, Satan's job is to kill, steal, and destroy. Christ's job description is to give you the gateway to abundant life. I've come that they might have life in all of its fullness. Okay, well, I love that scripture, but how? You know, how how, does that happen, right? And how do you know the devil's killing and stealing and destroying? Well, sometimes it's really obvious. My marriage is falling apart. I'm addicted to this. I can't seem to get free. Um, I've got all these idols in my life. Those are... Things hanging on the tree that need to go. And then the believer's job description is to do that, what uh, Terry said before. Do the works of that, that the Father did, John 14, 12 there. And then 1 John 3, 8. Come and destroy the works of the devil. Mark 16, we won't cover that again. That's the Great Commission. We covered it last week. That's also the signs following. Turn the page. Page 2, Sozo. We went, somebody counted this, 110 times this is used in the New Testament. And I've given you enough scriptures, there's many more. That is a a verb that is used interchangeably for salvation, healing, and deliverance. So anyone that tells you that Jesus came to only save and not to heal and not to deliver, that it's not done today, they do not know the word. And you can tell them you got to do it lovingly. But no, he paid everything. He, He paid abundant life. It's not one thing to just be saved and then to live with all this torment. That is not an abundant life. And so, they can delve into this, get their concordance out, go into the Greek or the Hebrew. You look up scriptures under Sozo, get the Greek, and then find all of them. So biblically, when I go into churches that are, don't believe this in their doctrine, that deliverance is for today or healings for today, I use this. I said, do you, a church in, in, in Resistencia, Argentina, Baptist church. 
the, the torment that was on this pastor and his wife and, his, and their child was so horrendous. They were open to anything. Come and help us. Randy said, you can help us. And I said, okay, you, you want me to preach the Holy Spirit in your Baptist church and then preach impartation of the Holy Spirit to get the demons out. Yes. Wow. And God showed up. Well, we'll probably share a little bit on that one sometime. Okay. So I want you to see that this biblically, again, is what Jesus came to pay for. Turn the page. Page four. When a person is saved, their, the, their life is written in the book. Their spirit man is forever alive. Now, you, there's those that might believe once saved, always saved, and won't get into that. We can show scriptures on both sides. But for sure, when you're born again and walking in Christ, your spirit man and your spirit is registered in the Lamb's book of life. That's foundational. But your mind and your will and your emotions may not be conformed to God's will, right? So what happens? When, when our mind and will is broken, that's where the enemy tends to operate in us. So we are after um, the spiritual renewal of those thoughts and attitudes. The way you get at this is when a person is preparing for, let's, let's walk through this. The person will call and say, I'd like prayer ministry. Pat will say, okay, and she'll do a little bit of a vetting process. Are you saved? Why are you wanting to do this? What's the issue? Uh, kind of figure out if they're really struggling. They're in deep addiction. What is, try to get a, are they over the age of 18? Do you need a parent's permission? So we vet the process, and then she sends him a journal, which we'll look at probably now next week. And that journal will have you go in and list those forgiveness items and confession items, pray to the Holy Spirit, because James says, if anyone lacks wisdom, ask the Lord. So you start praying, Lord, who do I need to forgive? And it is amazing the stories you'll hear. Person's driving down the road, and they do a double take in the car next to them, and they see what looks a profile of somebody they knew 30 years ago that they've never seen, but that brings up a, oh, my God, I need to put that on my list, right? Or they'll have a dream, or they'll have... Some form, I'll give you one. There was a, I won't use her denomination, but she was from another denomination. She'd had a horrible experience. Um, two husbands had died. She had been, left her denomination because they were now mandating uh, homosexuals could be ordained. She had been wanting to go on mission trips and was just in a bunch of torment, had been intimidated and tormented a lot. And she goes down to the Best Western, is in the hotel that night, coming to prayer ministry the next morning. And she comes in and she looks like she'd been up all night wrestling. <laughs> and she said she was. She's in her hotel room and she said a demon grabbed a hold of her and bent her leg back so hard and said in an audible voice, if you go there, I'm going to kill you. She says, well, you're here. He goes, I don't believe that demon. And we went and did prayer ministry. She went with us on a mission trip. And that form of intimidation, now there was a lot of open doors in her life. She had, through the stuff that had happened to her, the things she had opened, there was some devouring rights in her life 
that allowed that form of intimidation and generational sins from her family that allowed that authorization to be so strong as a form of intimidation. But through the process of her willingness to confess and forgive, break generational curses, she got set free. And so I want you to see that when we're in the midst of doing prayer ministry, the journaling process is so important. You're going to get the names, the places, and the events and the confession and items that are there, the stuff that is the most yucky stuff to talk about or even remember. In fact, most of the time we survive those things by pushing them away. And now, Pastor, you're asking me to dig them up and write them down. And it can be tormenting. That's why we finish the vetting process with prayer. Now, let me finish the night with, again, we weren't too, too equipped. And you maybe have heard this one before, but I'll just, it taught us a lot. And it's Pat's favorite. We we're, we're coming back from uh, Brazil, Mozambique. We're doing delivery. We're, we're having people sit up here, and people are telling the stories about people getting set free and people getting healed. And so, this woman's in our congregation, and she's an intercessor, and she's a major intercessor. She's no longer with our congregation. She actually. The last time I saw her, she was running a Sunday school program in another church. She would pray in intercession, and she started, she's married to a man who's not a believer. He's of another faith, and he's very, very harsh, and he's always been very, very abusive in her faith. She's been struggling to love him, and, but she's gotten bitter, resentful, and the door's open, and... She starts to pray, and now curses against Christ are coming out of her mouth as an intercessor. Not good. I said, that's, that's pretty foul. You know, how would you like inter- No, no, no. So she's beside herself. She's been going to marriage counseling. They've spent thousands of dollars in marriage counseling. Um, she hears the testimonies. She calls us up, and she says, I want to go for that prayer ministry that you guys do. So she comes, we vet her. I sit down with her on this one and we talk her through and I pray for her. I, I bind any spirits that would try to intimidate her or harm her, confuse her, let her have a schedule, everything. And Lord, let there be peace in her house with her husband that he doesn't come against this. And she goes away. Two weeks later, Pat and I are scheduled to do her prayer ministry. She walks in and she goes, I don't think I need this prayer ministry. That prayer you did the other week, man, my husband has been bringing me breakfast in bed He has not been abusive at all. My house is peaceful, and I haven't had any tormenting dreams or anything when I pray. And I'm going, I don't think I'm that effective at prayer. Listen, I call her Sally. It's in this write-up. I said, Sally, we're here. We're scheduled. Let's just go for it, okay? Allah, we're in my, my, my office, and... Pat's my second on this one because you never minister to a, number, a person of the gender that you're not. So you always have a female present or a male present to anyone who's being ministered to. And this will become obvious in a moment. And so I'm leading it. Pat's there. And uh, we're, we're praying. We're going through who? Well, I need to forgive my husband. I don't remember the secret. We're going down the forgiveness list. And then it, at the same moment, Pat gets a word of knowledge and I get a word of knowledge. Pat says, I just saw a burlap bag, an old burlap bag of seeds, black seeds. And I said, well, I just saw, I just heard in my spirit, man, generational witchcraft. So Pat blurts that out. I blurt it out. 
I'm like, okay, what? Holy Spirit knew. I said, Sally, do you have any generational witchcraft in your family? Now, she's from a, a foreign country. And she goes, yes, but I've already asked God to forgive that. It's not even on my journal list. Well, God wanted to put it on your journal list, okay? So I said, would you do me a favor? We need to, she goes, I've confessed this. I said, no, we need two or three to agree right now. And we're going to break this generationally off you, cut you free of this. Would you say these words, I want to renounce generational witchcraft? Because she then tells me her mother was a shaman. A, a medium psychic, and when she became a new believer in that foreign nation, before she came to the United States and became a citizen, she would go to the psychics with her mother, and they would call on the spirits, and she's a Christian. So you got, and she'd been to all sorts of garbage, right? And now she's got bitterness, so that this generational thing that can visit three and four generations, it's there. So she says, all right, I renounce generational, and this thing, leaps off the couch, grabs me by the throat. I'm, I'm, ser- I'm like, I'm sitting here, this little, this little Korean girl lady, and like, Rah! it got me, and like, I'm into, back in wrestling days in high school, I do a fireman's carry down on the ground. Pat is, can't get to the door. She's up, I'm between, me and the, the creature and the lady are between the door and her, right? Pat turns to the window, Shandala, Barakura Bakina, Lamara, Lamara. And I'm going, Pat's got my back. What a power. Awesome. And I got this thing, I got her pinned. Now I got her both hands down. I'm eyeball to eyeball this thing. And it says to me, I'm in a male voice, I'm high level and she's mine and you can't have her. And I just say, I know somebody higher level than you. His name is Jesus and you're going to the dry place now. Now get out. Where will I go? I go to the dry place. Okay. And it starts pitifully crying. This male. (laughs) And goes. And now the human eyeballs, the white eyeballs come back. And there's Sally looking at her pastor who's got her pinned on the floor. (laughs) And I'm trying to be all dignified. Now Pat's like, oh my God. She said, if I could have got to the door, I was done. I was out of (laughs) here. And so Sally gets up and she goes, Pastor, I'm really sorry. I knew it was in there. I didn't, I, I'm, I'm so sorry. I said, it's all right. There was no more drama. We went through forgiveness, confession, impartation. We finished the process and set her free, hugged on her, blessed her. A week goes by. Now she's a professor at UNCW, teaches the nursing school with a doctor degree. She comes to me and she goes, you know that thing you've been telling everybody I ought to go to prayer ministry on? I need to get up in front of the church and tell them they better go. Because I've spent a lot of money with counselors and you. And then she writes us this big check and she says, here, this is for prayer ministry or whatever. And she goes, no, no, you don't understand. I've spent a lot of money and I'm free. I am free, free, free. And she, within a few weeks, she gets her promotion. She becomes a Sunday school teacher in a Korean place. And I'm like, Lord, why didn't you let her go? You know, so anyway, but she got in front of the church, and she didn't give you everything elaborate, but that was the story she told. And, be, and then we had a flood of prayer ministries. And so that's my story, and I'm sticking with it. So let me, it's 8 o'clock. So let's stand. Um, if you will, please if, do your best to read through the rest of the notes, because we're going to fly next week. We got three more sessions, and Lord have mercy. 
what I'm asking the Lord to do is to give you foundation. I want to commingle Scripture with experience so that you can take on board the revelation of this is my assignment and I know who the Lord is and I can do this. I want, I would like any demon that walks through that place here, I want them to know there are really, really dangerous believing Christians in this place. It's not a safe place for them. Now, I don't want them to run, but we've, we've been in places where the demons will manifest and they'll say they're on an assignment. Now, I'll probably share one next week. They're on an assignment, but they say the Christians there, we don't like to come against born-again believers who are spirit-filled because they're too close to Jesus. We can't get access. So those assignments, they will rebel against their hierarchy of assignments because they know if they go there, they're about ready to get their heads kicked in. They're going to get crushed under Romans 16. And so my desire as a pastor is to make you very armed and dangerous, not pridefully arrogant, but sure of who you are and skilled enough in your toolbox warfare to know that if I'm faced with this, even if I'm at home, on the street, doing ministry, and all, because you heard a few weeks ago, well, maybe it's more than that, six weeks ago, when Carrie McNeil uh, Carrie Henderson and her, and her husband Mike went to the Philippines because a family member died and they find themselves around the kitchen table all of a sudden manifestations and doing deliverance. It's just to break a little bread around the family table. And so, but they, it was so glorious if you heard that testimony of what God did there. And so we want to be ready and in season. So Lord, I pray right now, I pray protection. Lord, no fear, but yet no pride, no arrogance. Lord, we want to be skilled. And Lord, let us have a really peaceful week that the enemy cannot uh, manifest to kind of get us off track or cause anything to happen. Lord, we just pray covering. Send the angels of heaven's armies to take up residency and let us be under the shelter of the Most High. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you all. All right.